you know, having planks out there, having um, those milk crates are really fun because they can stack them. They're really lightweight baskets with nothing in them. Um, having old curtains that you get at Goodwill or thrift stores, um, just see, they might not build a fort. They might use it for dress up and have a play and that's fine too. But putting some of those items out there and saying you can play with anything you see out here is going to get them playing in new ways. A lot of kids like that higher level thinking, um, a lot of kids are not having practice initiating a play idea and then actually executing that play idea. Um, they're losing the ability to do that. And that's like, that's huge. <laughs> Hey guys, my name is Shayla. Welcome to the Hey Shayla podcast. I went from full-time travel to full-time new COVID mom, and now I'm a mom of two. And holy wow, is motherhood and adulting a learning curve. There are so many decisions we need to make and a million ways to do it right. I created this podcast to interview some of my gurus to share their knowledge and empower you on your journey. Let me be your guinea pig and ask the question you think everyone else knows. Here, we're a little hippie. We try to do things as naturally as possible. We're open-minded and we don't take ourselves too seriously. But above all, we support one another and work to find what works. If you're into it, you're our people. Let's get started. All right, thank you guys all so much for coming back to the Hey Sheila podcast. I might be a little rusty here as I'm getting back from maternity leave and we get this going, but I am so excited because today I have Angela with Timbernook. She is the author of Balanced and Barefoot. And, um, she's a pediatric occupational therapist in Maine. She is also the founder of Timber, Timbernook, like I said, an award-winning developmental and nature-based program. Timbernook started as a background backyard experiment and can now be found in the U S and New Zealand. Woof. Through observing children at these camps, she wrote a book called balance and barefoot, which I recently read and it's changed the way I've parented. Um, uh, first of all, Thank you so much, Angela, for, or do you go Angela or Angie? Either's fine. Angie's Either's fine. Right. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for chatting with me. Um, my audience is excited to hear from you and just about this interview. And I am excited to share the information that I read about in Balanced and Barefoot and kind of just ask a couple more questions to, I don't know, just get more information because it's so good. So thank you. Sounds great. Um, so you explain that because I obviously do a little stalking before I start um, the interviews and figure out the questions. So I saw that you said that occupational therapists are typically found in buildings like schools, hospitals, clinics, and treat children with attention, balance, sensory, and motor issues. But your emphasis is doing the therapy outside. Can you explain a little bit why that is your emphasis and why you think that's important? Yeah. So I yeah, is it, so this is kind of a non-traditional thing, although it's becoming more traditional. We're starting to see more therapists take um, therapy outside, but um, typically, you know, we're found yeah in buildings and um, we have like sensory clinics where we'll bring a little box of sand inside and call that sensory. Uh, we'll bring our swings indoors. Um, we'll foster play, but it's all indoor play. So we'll bring in board games and that sort of thing. But the more, you know, throughout the years I've done this, I've, um, since 2009 now, um, I really realized that, you know, that occupation of outdoor play is a really important occupation. And it's something that we weren't really addressing in the field of occupational therapy, ironically. Um, you know, we were f focusing more on sensory inside and indoor play. So, 
Um, and then the more I observed what was happening in a clinic setting, comparing that to what I see with kids climbing trees outside or playing in giant mud puddles, the more I realized that it was, you know, whole body sensory experiences. Like a child, for instance, in a mud puddle is fully immersed in that sensory environment, um, head to toe muddy, they're scanning for real frogs. Um, there's other children in the environment. There's plenty of space they can move away from other kids or interact with them. Hmm. Um, there's also endless play opportunities. Uh, so it's just like a higher level of thinking, a higher level of sensory compared to a little box of sand that we would call sensory and there might be plastic frogs in there. So it's, you know, less meaningful. It's not, it's not a real environment. Um, you're trying to regulate mess. You don't want the kids to get the sand outside of the yeah. box. It's more <laughs> adult directed. It's, you know, they're not going to stay with it longer. There's less space for other children um, and there's not endless play opportunities. So I just really started comparing the two and saying, yeah, this is sensory, but this is, this is also sensory. And, you know, which one's designed to create change in the child, which one's more meaningful. Yeah. And more open-ended. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's awesome. That was something that you said in the book is like, uh, I don't know, you can put sticks together and sticks can be people or they can be spoons or they can be whatever, where when you have the toys that are specific things, there's less room for imagination, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So then tell me about how, like, what was, so that obviously was the inspiration for Timberdook, but how did it start? Sure. So, um, actually when I had my own kids, that's when I really started to pay attention. Um, my oldest daughter, is now 17. <laughs> we were talking about social media and I'm like, oh yeah, the social media thing is crazy. But, um, you know, just like watch, you know, when she was around four or five is when I started to notice a lot of her friends started to need occupational therapy. And like, that was my first red flag. I was like, why are all these kids needing services? Um, you know, occupational therapy was when I was growing up in the early eighties was really more reserved for children with more severe disabilities. Okay. So that was kind of the first thing. I was like, why, why this rise in therapy? And then in our clinic settings, um, we, we couldn't meet the demand. There's been a huge rise in the need for kids with, for, um, you know, special needs and services and, yeah. um, in a lot of, you know, typical kids that needed therapy. And so paying attention to that. And then, um, the other thing that I kind of, was really paying attention to was that there was not a lot of children outdoors. So, you know, we lived on 12 acres of woodland. This is where Timberlake still happens is was in our backyard. Um, And I would, we take a shortcut through a neighborhood where there's actually a lot of kids, my children's age um, in that, that neighborhood. But there was, I remember thinking one day, where are they? Like, why are they not biking to each other's house? Right. Where are where are the kids? Yeah. Night games so, and all the things. <laughs> yeah. So I just, um, so that's when I, you know, I just started filing this information away. And then, and when it, my daughter went to kindergarten, that was kind of like the tip of the iceberg, because I remember the kindergarten teacher looking at us and saying, this is not kindergarten. Like you remember growing up, she said, um, we're not going to have time to teach your children how to cut with scissors. She said, my husband's going to pre-cut everything at nighttime. So they don't have to worry about that skill. Then she said, if they can't tie their shoes, please put Velcro on them or elastic laces because oh we don't have time to teach them how to tie their shoes. Yeah. Then she five minutes for snack. But if that gets in the way of curriculum, it'll be a working snack. So they'll have to eat while they learn. And then 15 minutes for recess. 
And she said, when it snows in, in New Hampshire, you know, there's snow much of the school year. Yeah. She said, we'll have to bring them in for indoor recess because we don't have time to change them into their gear. So this whole um, no time for developmental skills. Totally. Like coming up and as an occupational therapist that works on developmental skills, I was like, this isn't, this is not what I was taught. This is not right. Yeah. You know, this is the focus on of kindergarten and play. And um, so I ended up pulling her out of school and homeschooling and learning about different educational philosophies. And I was really intrigued by Reggio Emilia, where the environment is the third teacher hmm, and the inspiration, <laughs> yeah, the inspiration for learning. Um, and then a lot, I was really interested in Finland, where the kids, you know, in that country were in the river dissecting fish to learn about ecology. They were, you know, they didn't start school till seven. They were barefoot half the time, but they were scoring way higher in a lot of the subjects. And we were here in America. And then they were like graduating like at 16 and doing trade school. Like, and so they just, but doing way, way better than our um, American school culture. So um then I had a friend that said, I think you, you know, well, I, I knew I wanted to do something with getting kids outdoors. And at first I thought it was going to be in the form of nature classes um, until I ran my first one. And I had a parent come up to me with her son in hand. And she said, why, you know, can you please tell my son why the leaves change color? And I was like, oh gosh, like that's, you know, it's not really my specialty. So yeah, I was right. like, I think for my science classes in high school, like <laughs> I was like, something to do with a pigment in the leaf. And she was looking at me like, what? Why are you running nature classes? Yeah. So I, you know, just reflecting on what is my background here? Right. You know, what does an occupational therapist have anything to do with nature programming? And that's when I realized, you know, that the occupation of a child is play. And then outdoor play is a really important occupation for children. And what's happening is it's really at risk. Like it's, it's declined significantly and it's impacting development and all kinds of interesting ways. So then um, long story short, I had a friend say, I think you should do summer camps. And that's because you're going to be more likely to have people drop their children off. And so I said, okay, I'll do it one summer. And, um, and it was, you know, really successful. And then um, I, I kept saying yes, um, each year to do it one more year. And then it, just exploded. There was a huge demand. I had right. parents calling saying, Hey, my kid can't get into your program. You know, what are you going to do about that? And I was like, I don't know. Cause yeah. I actually was not planning on working. I was just doing a couple of weeks of summer camp for, for my community. I had left work to just raise my children. Yeah. Um, and that's when I had therapists reaching out saying, this is unique for our profession. And um, that's when I created Timbernook and I realized it wasn't about me. It was something I had to share. And so, cool. yeah, started to license the program. And then I wrote an article called why kids fidget and what we can do about it. And that went incredibly viral. And that's, that's how the message spread really quickly. And the book came about. Amazing. Well, cause I think people are looking for it. So to get yeah. that kind of information, okay, I'm going to, I've got a couple of questions about everything you just said. So when your daughter was born, you were already an occupational therapist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then how you said her friends were getting referred to them. How do you get referred to an occupational therapist? So typically an, um, an occupational therapist will, <clears throat> there'll be a referral for them. If a child has trouble with attention or balance or some sort of, they don't want to get dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, you know, not processing, um, you know, they have anything that would imp- impact school or play is basically when, um, 
So like their teacher maybe would say something to the parent, the parent would talk to the pediatrician. Yeah. Yeah. So like if they're having a really hard time paying attention to school or they're fidgety or they're, you know, falling out of the chair, um, you know, their um, muscle weakness, anything that will impact school or are being able to play. So what do you think? Why do you think we're not letting our kids play outside as much? Or why do you think, I mean, other than school, because I feel like even the younger kids aren't outside as much. Because the biggest number one barrier is actually fear. And mm. it's like, you know, one of the hardest things to fight because you can't see it, but it's fear of strangers, fear of children getting hurt, um, fear of uh, animals, fear of bug, like ticks, Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's all fear, which can all be addressed, but. Totally. So the parents fear of all those things. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, this book and have you heard of um oh, something about going outside? I interviewed this author as well. No, there's no such thing as bad weather. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Linda. This book and that book, yes. Yeah. Literally yeah. have changed how I've done everything. I'm like, okay, we need it. We'll go outside before daycare so we don't watch TV or whatever. It's like <laughs> it's and now she's constantly like outside, outside. And I'm like, Oh, you want to take your shoes off? No problem. Let's just walk around the street. I'm sure my neighbors think I'm insane because she walks. We don't have sidewalks. So she's just walking on the street barefoot, running, thinking it's and then, but then she'll feel like, oh, it's hot. Mommy, I want my shoes. Okay, cool. I'll put her shoes back on. And then usually two minutes later, she's like, no shoes. I'm like, this is a fun game. (laughs) But it is. Yeah. And and I will, I'll be like, Oh, do you hear the birds outside? Because that was in the book, like the spatial awareness of the birds. So I try and point out like different things. And now she'll go, mom, I heard that. I do you hear that? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's so fun. And it's just, it, it is something because we did grow up outside and yeah, just to not have your kids doing it. And it is kind of fear like that you are afraid of, I don't know, the neighbors or whatever. And it's, I think just because there's so much more media around these stranger danger things. And you're like, oh my gosh, they're in my neighborhood. And it's like, no, that's one in the whole, I don't know. You don't want to put your kid in a bad situation and you don't. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I don't know, uh, free range kids is a really great book about talking about the fear too, especially, um, but by Lenore Skenazi. That's a great book. Cause she talks about like how there's less things to be afraid of than even when we were growing up and, but like the media portrays things, like it makes it sound like it's in your own backyard, but it's like really rare. And it's like, you have your kids teach them, you know, street smarts and, you know, cause there's risk everywhere. Totally. And the more, cause I've seen with my daughter, the more I let her do things, the more capable she becomes of doing those things. So as long as you kind of like, you're there to assess risk for her. And I have an ER friend who's like, as long as it's not I can't remember one or two times her height. If she falls, it's not going to be a trauma, blah, blah, blah. Like she lets her kids climb on retaining walls that are as long as they're not two times their height or something. I can't remember what it is, but that's so good. Cause it gives them the confidence to be able to be like, I feel safe. My mom thinks I'm safe. I just have to focus whatever. And yeah. So the more you allow them to kind of play on that danger line, I think the better they get at doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So most of us will send our children to school where inevitably they're going to have to sit inside unless we decide to homeschool. But 
I mean, to that kindergarten teacher, I'm sure the kindergarten teacher isn't stoked about the schedule either, but what are you supposed to, I just feel like as a parent, how can you tackle that? And if you can't tackle that, what are some activities you can do like afterwards or to try and compensate for all of that sitting? Yeah, I think, um, I think that's, it's just reality. Like my, uh, my children went to, um, a school where they sat a lot and it was like, it was kind of out of, some of it was out of my hands, you know, unless right. I wanted a home. So I did homeschool a couple of years, but then they went back to school. Cause yeah. I just couldn't do it for that long. Yeah. Um, and so we, they were outside, um, whenever they got home. Um, the big key was like inviting friends over. Um, we like, it's funny because the house that they lived in, they, had some friends that they could go visit, but, um, a lot of times it took, still took effort because a lot of their good friends live further away. Mm-hmm. So we'd invite them over for the whole day. Um, and they, and it was like a constant thing where we live now in Maine, like my six-year-old son. So I've got a little one too. I've got a, like a 17 year old daughter, a 14 year old daughter, and then a six-year-old son, oh but gosh. he's off with the neighbor kids. It's much more laid back here where we are nice. in Northern Maine. And they are off. Oh, a girl just walked by. She's coming to pick up my girls. She lives on the lake and they're, they're going kayaking. And um, if you walk down the street, the little boys, their house, there's like a bunch of neighbor boys and they have, um, you know, careful kids at play. It's mm-hmm. like a street sign so that people go slow yeah. and all the neighbors, the kids here. So it's all about getting to know your neighbors and creating that sense of community again. Totally. All right, let's take a brief break to talk about the California Beach Girl. The California Beach Girl was this magical baby item that I found when I was trying to figure out how to contain my baby. My mom found a playpen that was like super bulky and heavy. Putting together a pack and play is will make you sweat. This thing is literally up and down in seconds. It is super lightweight, super compact. You can travel with it. We set it up in our living room. You can go to the beach with it, obviously, the California Beach Co. I think they're always running a sale, but you can get an extra 10% off with my affiliate code, HeyShayla. Everybody that I know that's bought this loves it. And get the mattress. People are like, do we need the mattress? Do we not need the mattress? Yes, otherwise it's just on the floor. So if they fall, they're not getting hurt, get the mattress. If you go to my website, HeyShayla.com backslash my dash favorites, you'll see a video of me popping it up and popping it down and how easy it is. Okay, let's get back to it. So I like the reality of like, this is what it is. We don't, we can't control everything. You can go try fight the school district if you want, but like accepting some of it and then figuring out what you can do and the off time. And I think it, I think it was your book that kind of got me thinking about the morning because in the morning I'm tired. I turn on the TV, I get breakfast ready. We'll go to daycare in a minute, blah, blah, blah. But then I was like, or we could just have a snack on the walk. She gets breakfast at daycare. So, and then we'd wake up, get dressed and go out on a walk. And it was like my favorite time because it's kind of quiet. The weather's perfect. She's running around. And then I'm like, all right, I feel good about that for myself, for you. Now let's go to daycare. And so kind of figuring out where you can do things and creating the environment. Like we just put a swing set in the backyard because I was sick of walking to the park (laughs) or I had something to do and I didn't want to walk to the park. So now she's like outside, go on the swing, and I can just open the door, let her run out there. She's gotten so good at playing by herself. And so I think you kind of have to be forward thinking a little bit on how can I change the environment or what can I add to the environment to create the thing that I want essentially. Yeah, absolutely. But I love the community aspect too. And, and 
I mean, having friends that kayak and are willing to go with your kids and you know what I mean? Just like creating the, those friendships. I'm meeting up at the park. I'm meeting up at like rock climbing with a friend this week, because that's something that we want to do with our kids. So that's another good point of just like the community and who yeah. you spend time with and what, and what they do. Yeah. And the kids will inspire each other to like, my son is usually like, um, he was very a beginner biker, but a lot of the little boys he's hanging out with are there's some it's neighborhood place. So some are older yeah. and they're doing jumps. They're like challenging. So now he's getting Ooh. really good at, biking. you know, he sleeps really good at night, but like just chat, they challenge each other, I think yeah. too, which is really great. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Um, so the idea of independent play is also in your book. Um, cause sometimes it gets overwhelming thinking about what, what activity to get for your kid or how to entertain them or whatever. So, um, sorry, sometimes I get overwhelmed thinking I need to, can you elaborate more on like how playing outside or just why independent play is important? Yeah. Um, well, it's really, so what is, um, what I think is happening is a lot of kids are being directed a lot. So like, I remember when my kids were really little, we would go on play dates and then the adult often would have an activity for everyone to do. And it was very structured. Um, but it's really important to kind of step back actually. And it, a lot of our training with Timbernook is like retraining a lot of the teachers and therapists that work with mm. us is even as therapists will kind of like direct the activity, but that's, that's the key that we want to get away from adult directed activities and just inspire a higher level of play. And in order to, to do that, you have to kind of stage in the environment, some things that will inspire and get them thinking in new ways. So an example might be if you, if it's a muddy day outside and let's say you have some natural mud puddles in your backyard you could put out um, some kitchen items right near the mud puddle, like a stainless steel tray and a stainless steel pitcher, things that like aren't going to break if they're smashing them, right. you know, that you get a yard sale or something. Um, yeah. But some adult items that they don't normally get to play with and put it near mud, they're going to start like making connections and start playing with that in different ways. Um, you could, a lot of kids will build forts and that's like a really meaningful um experience for children is to do fort building. So inside, you know, you can have big cushions and allow them to play with that kind of stuff. But I'm thinking more outside because then you're getting the benefits of being out in nature and um, having the senses fully engaged. So, yeah. you know, having planks out there, having um, those milk crates are really fun because they can stack them. They're really lightweight. Um, having old curtains that you get at Goodwill or thrift stores because yeah. they're just going to get anyway yeah um are really popular um baskets with nothing in them you know but putting some of those items out there and saying you can play with anything you see out here is going to get them playing in new ways I then you add that. a couple of neighborhood kids and they're going to it they're going to play in those items in different ways in your child and so it's going to give them new play ideas and um so yeah just adding some new items out there is a, is a great way to start I love that that's so see, but even like the fort, I'm like, how will they know how to build a fort? Should I show her? No, no I would just see, they might not build a fort. They might just do something simple with it. And that's fine too. But right. again, add other children, they're going to do things with it. They might use it for dress up and have a play and that's fine too. So like getting, um, just putting different things out there to yeah. see what to do with it is really the key because a lot of kids like that higher level thinking, um, 
a lot of kids are not having practice initiating a play idea and then actually executing that play idea. Um, they're losing the ability to do that. And that's like, um, that's huge. Yeah. Critical <laughs> like, thinking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Idea people like we want entrepreneurs. Like if you can't come up with your own ideas, that's a really big problem. Totally. Um, and so a lot of recess sessions are like way too short because it's like 15, 20 minutes and it takes time to figure out who am I going to play with? What am I going to play? And then execute that play. And they're just not given enough time to do that. So they, they don't get to use that higher level of thinking skills. Um, so what if I don't have neighbor kids that are coming over? Can I just throw those things in the yard and see what, I mean, yeah. she'll be mommy, come play with me or something. I go play with, I don't know. I don't want to be like, no independent oh, yeah. playtime. You know what I mean? Like what's the balance <laughs> there kind of. So that's a, that's a really good question. So you kind of do want to, uh, you will kind of want to phase yourself out a little bit. Okay. Um, so you can say, yeah, I'll go out with you, but you might want to like do something like knitting or cleaning up the yard and still put those items out there and say, I'm going to rake, but you can use anything you see to play. Mm -hmm. And then if she says, well, I don't know what to do, that's okay. Like we have to be okay with boredom and try to resist the urge of showing them what to do with it because then you become the idea giver. And then they start seeking constant adult reassurance. Mm. And so it's going to take practice of them getting bored and starting to pick up an item and use it in different ways. For instance, let's say um, you send your child out and they're like, they come back in, they say, there's nothing to do out there. There's sticks, rocks, leaves, right? It's called, um, um, <clears throat> they have no affordances. It's called visual affordances. So a stick is, they don't have any ideas of how to play with it. And let's say you, say you send that same child back outside and they sit in the dirt and they pick up a stick and they start digging with it and they go, oh, I have one, one affordance. I have one idea. I can use this as a tool to dig with. And then let's say they start drawing with it and they realize, okay, I have two ideas. I can use this to write or dig. Then if you do have other children, this is where other children are handy is they might use that stick to build a fort and they right. go, oh my gosh, I have three ideas on how to use a stick. And so the more practice and exposure they get to those materials, um, the more ideas they get and more affordances they get. And that leads to creativity. And then you add another item like milk crates, and that's going to have like a hundred different ways to play with it. And right. then you might have another child that would have different ways to play with that. And that's how they get creative with their play. So cool. I love that because they're, yeah. Cause, and I think you're right about not having, like allowing them to initiate the thought on their own because sometimes I feel guilty. Like I'm like, oh, you're just going to go play out there by yeah. yourself. I feel bad that you're out there yeah. by yourself. And so to hear like, no, it's okay. They're not. And it's okay if they're bored too. Like if they're just sitting out there and they don't, Cause she'll do that. She'll sit in her swing. I'm like, I'm going to go inside. I have to grab dinner. Do you want to come with me? No, I want to stay in my swing. I'm like, you don't even know how to pump. You're two That's years true. old. Yeah. And <laughs> she'll just sit out there. And so I'm making dinner and I look out there and she's just looking at the ground or looking at in, in her swing. It's ridiculous. But yeah, I feel like just the permission to be like, no, your kid can, your kid can be alone and they don't need you to direct their play. <laughs> it's, it's good to hear. Um, Okay. So we just kind of, well, the, the other week. thing. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say the other thing that we teach is like, um, or we learned over the years is if we're too close to the kids playing, let's say kids are building a fort. And if we're standing right there, they, they will start turning to us for constant adult reassurance, mm -hmm. or they'll start tattling on each other more. 
Interesting. And then, but if what we learn over the years is back up about 20 feet and then get down low, um, they will start turning to each to solve their own problems and come up with their own play ideas. Cool. I mean, that makes sense. You're right there. They want their, yeah. Hmm. That's very interesting. I love this. Um, the next question was about toys, activities and stuff that you'd recommend. And you just went over it. You just talked about just grabbing random stuff that they can open-ended play with curtains and trays from garage sales. I love that so much because it's things that you're not worried about getting dirty or breaking or whatever. I think that's awesome. Um, uh, I do remember from the book that you mentioned spinning and climbing are important things. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, basically we actually use that for treatment for children. So in our clinic settings, remember how I said we bring swings inside. Um, so we will suspend equipment and we will place a child on a swing and we'll spin them in all different directions. Um, and basically what that does is inside the inner ear are little hair cells. And when you spin a child, it moves the fluid back and forth, stimulates those hair cells, and that develops your vestibular sense. And that sense is actually key to all the other senses. That's um, It helps to organize the senses um, and lay the foundation for learning. So having an organized brain helps with being able to pay attention and to learn. Um, so it's, we will use that, um, to help, especially help children know where their body is in space. So mm -hmm. to be able to get from point A to point B safely to get on and off playground e equipment effectively. Um, and, um, we, sometimes you'll hear therapists say it's really important to cross midline. You know, that's really important for the basic coordination, but you can't cross midline if you don't have a midline in a sense of where your body is in space. So we will use spinning to really know where you are in space. Um, and so um, sometimes I will see a child spinning and I'll hear an adult say, don't spin because you're going to get hurt or get down from that rock. You know, you might hurt yourself or get down from that tree, whatever. Yeah. Um, but when we do that, we actually become the barrier to that neurological development that needs to happen for children to become safer in their environment and navigate their environments effectively um, and safely. So it's funny because I've worked with children where they'll say, um, you know, like the swings, I remember telling a child to stand up on the swing and she's like, Miss Angie, that's so like dangerous. dangerous yeah. yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? And um, so I told her to spin on her swing when she went to school and she came back the next week and she said, I'm not allowed to, you know, um, I can't even go on my belly. Um, you know, so like I asked the Reese's monitor and she goes, it's true. They're supposed to stay upright. They can't go on their belly. They can't be spun in any way. And it's funny because as therapists, we will purposely get them in that anti-gravity position so that they, we really stimulate the hair cells to really help with that neurological development. Um, yeah. and, but no, they're keeping them upright and, you know, to keep them safe, but right. we're preventing that again, that neurological development to happen. What, is spinning just in the swing or like if they're just standing and spinning, is that similar or does that work? Um, well, it's just stimulates the hair cells in different ways. So but it's all, it's all good. All spinning all is good. good. Okay. So if someone doesn't yeah. have a swing and their kid just 
turns in circles. That's going to give them a good vestibular. I feel like I learned about the vestibular that as far as baby wearing. Do you know anything about that? Like baby wearing is good because when they're upright and they're moving with different people or like mom who's unloading the dishwasher or whatever, it's kind of stimulating at the same time. Yeah, it does. The, all of that helps. So basically getting them out of that upright position all the time Got it. is what I want to do. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Um, so then when I opened up the questions to my Instagram, a lot of people had questions about how to safely have our kids like that was, I guess that's the fear question again, but everybody was like, first of all, are there barefoot shoes for kids? And what if like my feet are cracking or what if I get a splinter? What if I like how to maintain your feet if you're going to be barefoot all the time? So it just, it builds up, you know, the more you're barefoot, the more tough the skin gets under your feet. And so you right. can tolerate walking on barefoot. Like my oldest daughter is um, constantly going barefoot. She went for a walk with her friend last night and she was like, I'm just going to go barefoot. Like she's just constantly barefoot. But it's like, it's just, you know, you increase tolerance and every time you walk, um, you know, the ground pushes up in different parts of your feet and strengthens all the little muscles in the feet and the ankles and all that skin too you know, gets evenly strengthened. Yeah. So but, don't go get pedicures and have them shave it yeah, off. But they, right? <laughs> but they do. Yeah, they do. I know. Every time I go to the pedicure, they're like, we got to go get the big dogs and they go in the back and get the real shavers. I'm like, yeah, I've been working on that all summer. What are you doing? <laughs> you gotta leave it alone. <laughs> but they they do make barefoot shoes too as well yeah I had some for a long time they're very comfortable um but yeah you can still feel the pressure of the ground up on your feet and stuff well and I looked into them for my daughter and I mean what they grow out of their shoes every six months and they're like 60 70 dollars and I'm like whoa I don't know about yeah they are expensive they are expensive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like maybe we wait till your feet stop growing. I got I mine know. for free. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, as an adult, yeah. your feet aren't growing that much, but when you're a kid, it's like, okay, well now we're out of these. So I don't know if yeah. I get like a, a, somebody who's a little bit older than my kid and we just buy them together and we can just hand me down. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So just yeah. let your feet toughen up essentially by going yeah. outside and you're just going to have hobbit feet and that's gonna be <laughs> protected from everything <laughs> that's how I feel I'm like I've got some real calluses here and getting protected really well yep. um okay I feel like is there anything else that you would want to add I think that I just think the whole idea of getting your kids outside letting them risk assess themselves letting them play in different ways use their imagination it really just feels like permission to be yeah. able to do those things. And it's okay if they get hot. It's okay if they get their outside, get in the right temp, like clothes and stuff. But yeah, I think that it's. Awesome. Yeah, they really need, it's like permission for time. They need the time, the space and the opportunity and that's it. Right. And it's so simple. Yeah. Throwing a curtain outside. Like I hand her the hose and she's good for 30 minutes. I can't imagine if I gave her a curtain, some milk cartons. Like I feel like she's good for the day. That's so, uh, that's, I love that. I love that so much where, so, uh, so other than your book that people should read, if they're into all of this stuff, 
looking for a nature school like Timbernook or, or would you consider it a nature school? It's a, a nature program. program. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Or just getting outside or, I mean, is there anywhere that if I'm like, okay, I did the curtains, I did the milk carton, what other activities can I do? Just do you have so, resource? Yeah. yeah. So I think, um, yeah, the book will give you a basic idea of um, how to do it. And then um, you could follow us on Facebook. Um, we do a lot of connections between outdoor play and how it affects development. Um, and then you can go website as well is as well. Okay. So Timbernook on Facebook and then timbernook.com. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for chatting with me. This was awesome. That was so interesting and so fun to learn more and just kind of be able to ask you some more questions. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. Have a your baby. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That's the, so I have a, yeah, a three month old. And I remember going outside with Aaliyah and Googling, what if she eats leaves? Like, <laughs> is that safe? And in your book, you're like, infants should be on the ground too. It's fine. So <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please share with somebody you think would love. And I would be so honored if you would subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment and rating below so I can know what you guys are digging, what you want more of, just connect with you a little better. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.